Okay, welcome back. Part two of our 10 actionable insights from our first 10 interviews. If you have not listened to part one, you can pause this and go back and listen to our last show, which was the first five actionable items we had. Or in all honesty, the order doesn't really matter. So you can listen to this. And if you like it, go back. Jason, also, what should they do if they like the podcast? What is the best thing you could do if you like this show? You know, there's a rumor about this that you should tell two friends. And it has a, this is the rumor, and maybe a conspiracy theory. It has a karma effect on you. It brings you really good karma if you tell two friends about this. And then they tell two friends, and it just brings all these good things to your life. Just a rumor. Well, you know how these things start. One guy tells another guy something, and then he tells two friends. And they tell two friends. And they tell their friends. And so on. And so on. And so on. You know how these things go. It is a rumor. Everybody's been talking about it. So is Wayne and Garth. Okay, so let's get into it. These are, again, for if you are new to this, these are part two of our 10 takeaways from our first 10 episodes, trying to identify trends and themes we've seen early on that we think apply to, if not all of the creators we've interviewed, most of them, and will contain a key takeaway that you can take, whether you're a vlogger, YouTuber, or excuse me, vlogger, podcaster, blogger, whatever it is. So number six, sometimes you have to make shark moves. Everybody in the creator space likes to put on a happy face, right? Likes to network, likes to be deferential to other creators. And I think all of those things are important, but this is a business. And this show is about the business side of the creator economy. And there comes a time in any business uh, where you have to be a little bit of a shark and you have to make strategic moves. It doesn't mean you do it underhanded. It doesn't mean you get one over on people. It doesn't mean fraud. It just means making a, an aggressive and uh, coordinated business move. And two of the examples that come to my mind, one of which was our guest, Nick Pittman, Nor'easter Nick, the weather guy in South Jersey. He was working at a small TV station for some of his salary. And on the side, he was doing his weather forecast on Facebook and YouTube, and he knew this was gonna be his long-term business. But at the TV station, he convinced his boss to buy this rather expensive weather system, which helps pull in all those radars and maps that you see on whatever your local newscast is. This is, I guess, one system that kind of underpins this or a platform, and it's expensive, and it's got a monthly service charge, $1,000, $2,000, I forget the exact amount. And he convinced them to buy that. And then very shortly thereafter, that station was going out of business. So he went back to them and said, hey, I know you've outlaid this capital expenditure and you have no use for it. So I'm going to buy it for you for 10 or 30 cents on the dollar. Now, whether he thought that through from the beginning or just used that opportunity, to me, that was an unbelievable insight into his business savvy. Because I think we had gone maybe 30 minutes into this conversation and Nick was, he is, he's a great guy, right? But very positive, you know, upbeat. And then here he is just laying this nugget of this kind of power move he pulled for the system that now powers uh, his entire online enterprise. Yeah, I I was happy you just said that because that's where I was going to go with my point. There was this happy-go-lucky sense to Nick. And then all of a sudden, like the Jaws music turned on. And when he says, when he he pulled this, it was like, like, what a shark. What a shark move by this guy. We always joke around about succession, you know, some of the jokes from that. And that was going off in my brain too. Some of our private jokes that of the scenes there, like this was quite the move by Nick. But you know, this is strategic too. These are people that see the opportunity in front of them and they go for it, but it also ties into their larger plan. So it was quite the personality tick that I wasn't expecting from Nick. And I think that's what you have to learn about. 
entrepreneurs and people in our space and the creator economy, there could be something that is a whole other level of thought, business principle, strategy that maybe we're not aware of. We get to see just on a TikTok or a YouTube video or a Facebook video that has made someone successful. So that was quite the surprise to hear that from Nick. Yeah, and I would say usually the people you see who seem the most jovial or the most natural and have these big audiences, right? They're generally probably the people who are best at business. You usually don't accidentally get a huge audience and a nice, you know, infrastructure. Take Mr. Beast as one of the biggest guys out there. Millions and millions of views on almost every video he puts out. And he's very fun. And he, by all accounts, he's a, he's a good guy. He's very charitable. But he has built himself a business. He outlays, in some cases, millions of dollars for every video. You don't do that without being a shark in some ways. The other example I had, and this one's probably a less good example, but we interviewed Alexis or Lexi Grant from They Got Acquired, the website, and, and they'd interview us, and they interview founders of small to medium-sized businesses who had an exit, and they write articles about them. And certainly, there's a number of opportunities you can go with a media property like that. And one of the ones that she identified is she is building this unbelievable, every interview they do, they are building this unbelievable list of, of data and intelligence that really doesn't exist out there. There's plenty of data about public company and large company mergers and acquisitions, CNBC, Bloomberg, you know, they get all the big headlines. These small and medium-sized businesses, I forget, I think I said it wrong on a previous episode, it's like 500000 to $50 million range. And I guess $50 million to me seems large, but whatever. Um, she's putting together this database, which she knows she's going to be able to monetize later, either by selling it or by offering it up to professionals to, who want to get a sense of valuation. So it's a, I don't know if that's necessarily as much of a shark move as it is great long-term planning and very thoughtful and kind of like an unintended result of the type of content she's creating and her team's creating. I agree. It may be more like an octopus move. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like very strategic. And when I say sneaky, I mean it in the best of ways. You know, like all of a sudden it's just like, it's gotcha. You know, because you think about this great opportunity to talk about your acquisition. And all of a sudden, like when we're talking to Lexi, you're like, oh my God, what a great idea. Taking, they're getting all of this free statistics, all this free information, and then being able to build that database and report. It's just an awesome, awesome idea. I hope she appreciates that analogy. I, 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 it is certainly meant in the most complimentary way. If there's anybody out there who wants to make us a meme, a GIF, or even a clip with an octopus graphic over this, uh, feel free. I, we will retweet it and use it. Uh, the rights are ours, though. Our shark move is we own the rights when you send us a clip of our show. Absolutely. How about on the technology side, Nick? I'm imagining the, the graphics, the, the radar. In my mind, that feels like that's something that's pricey. And then also to building that out, building out the seven-day forecast. It, it, do you do all of that? Is and also too is, and then that's then all going to be made available to the franchisees as well. Those same types of programs, right? So I go with a uh, a system called Baron. So my last TV station, SNJ Today, uh, I forced them to buy it. NBC Forty. We didn't have a graphics package. We had Photoshop. We had uh, PowerPoint, and we made our graphics that way. Very time-consuming. Nothing is in you know uh, real time. Uh, it was very annoying, and we carried that over for the first couple years at SNJ. And then I went to the owner, and I said, "I want a graphic system." And he says, "Well, they're very expensive. You know, how are we going to pay for that?" I said, "Just wait and see." A week later, I went back to him and said, "Okay, I have five sponsors. We're going to start this segment called Backyard Weather. One sponsor gets one night a week, and that's going to pay the bill." And we bought it. And then when the TV station closed down, I approached the owner and said, well, you're not going to be using this. So I will buy the equipment at pennies on the dollar. Otherwise, it's just going to sit there. And he agreed. 
and I took over the contract, which was astronomical. And it cut into my profit for the first year and a half, but I, I had no other choice because I wasn't going to go backwards. It was $2,800 a month. That's the mortgage of my house. So insane. And then I was able to negotiate with them when the contract expired. I went to a digital only because they were paying for a broadcast license. I don't need that. But yeah, we will be, this is all the graphics go to a scheduler. And then from there, they'll be accessible to uh, anybody that, that franchises. Uh, so I will eventually get it for free and then make money on it. So that's the plan there. When I was selling both of my businesses, I wish that there was information out there that could help me figure out what my business might be worth. I mean, it's just like if you sell a house, you have real estate comps and this exists for much bigger companies, but it really hasn't existed until we started doing it for the smaller market. So I think long-term, like maybe two years from now, we'll have a database that people can log into maybe with a subscription, maybe it's just like a one-year fee and you can pull whatever data out of there that you want. Right now we have about 1,400 acquisitions in there that we feel confident fit our criteria. They're not all fleshed out yet, but they're in there. We have probably twice as many or maybe three times as many in there that we, but a lot of them we don't know enough about yet to say they can, they actually fit our criteria. And by fit our criteria, I mean, they sold for between 100,000 and 50 million. That's like the box that we've created since 2017 and their online businesses. But while we're working till, towards that, we have two things that we're providing. One is you, you saw like the stories on the front end. We have lots of stories of entrepreneurs who have built and sold their businesses. And there's so many interesting things to learn from that. And then we're releasing some of the data via reports. So like we just put out our first one, it's 21 companies that sold in 2021. So our goal is to launch many more of those as we collect enough data to do so. That's going to be helpful for people. The next one's going to be on content companies. So it'll be about 20 content companies that have sold in the last few years. Okay, number seven, embracing doubt. So when you create content, I think anywhere, whether you're an author or on TV, you're doing it in front of an audience. And even people who don't have a fear of public speaking probably have some sort of thought every time they get in front of a crowd or put something in front of a crowd is, are they going to like this? Is this good? Is this useful? Is this helpful? Is this entertaining? Whatever it is. Comedian goes out there. Even Dave Chappelle probably goes out there and says, I, I hope they like this show tonight. Maybe he doesn't, but everybody else does. And one of the themes we've seen now from people who are doing this at scale, and I'll, I'll use Brandon Perna from That's Good Sports, hundreds of thousands of followers on YouTube talking about sports and kind of a very kind of over the top, jokey. He's got a theme, he's got a brand. His videos are very clear that it's him. They got to feel a tone. And he appears to have it down, the process down pat. And one of the things that came across in his interview, I think more than anything, was that every day he said he wakes up and he's like, I don't know if I'm ever going to make a good video again. And then we talked to Adam Vasquez, who's been podcasting for a while. Uh, he's had multiple podcasts. He works with podcasters. He works on, you know, as a creative agency, he helped write a commercial. So he has all this experience, particularly in podcasting and on the creative digital side. And I think he, he said something similar to us, which was every day I wonder if like the next time I do something, it's going to be any good. And, you know, I don't know about you. I've had this over the years, like, you know, I've written plenty of blog posts that were well-received and funny and got a lot of views. And then you work up, you're like, can I do that again? Or am I tapped out? So it's funny. Personally, I think when I was younger, I had more of a doubt process to help me get through things. And I feel like now that I'm in my 40s and I've had some success, 
I don't necessarily go there to move the needle. I go to listen, you know, you're going to be able to figure this out and you'll be able to then quickly surmise if something will not work. So I'm not saying it's something I think that these, because they're younger than I am, I'm not saying that, but I'm just trying to connect with it on my side for the listeners. That I think when I was younger, I used it for motivation, this kind of doubt thing to kind of help me get over hurdles. At this point, I don't think I go there, but I also, I think on like a, a comedic side with Brandon Perna, that just seems to me like that's a chord that kind of runs through that personality that we hear from so many comedians. You know, that being like his background, and you know, he's obviously extremely intelligent too. I mean, to be able to come up with the material that he comes up with in our podcast with him, you know, I was, I think we were both kind of taken back by his personality because you see his videos and they are they're out and there's a certain energy to them in the comedy level. And then him personally, and interviewing him, he's very relaxed, you know, just really chill. So I'm not really sure where I'm going with that, but I can kind of see how it fits his personality. With Adam, Adam reminded me a little bit more of us. And I do wonder, to bring it full circle, because he's a little younger than I am, that he was, at the time that he was referencing the Dow, if he was kind of using that more as a motivational asset to get to the next step. Yeah, and I think the point here, you know, or the, the takeaway, at least for the crowd, is if you do have doubt, it's a normal thing. Particularly, it seems, to your point about comedians, if you're in the business of making people laugh or entertaining them, you're probably more likely to have it. If you're a news reporter and you cover a beat and you're well-sourced and good on the beat, you know, Adam Schefter probably doesn't doubt, to use a football example, that he's going to be able to get breaking NFL news. You know? So maybe it's more towards people who are creating subjective content where you have to be creative and are trying to you know, do things for people where you're just staring at a blank slate and every day you have to come up with something new. But embrace that. If you have it, it's normal. Know that there are people out there with probably much bigger followings than you who feel this way all the time. Yeah, imagine that 300,000 plus YouTube followers, you know, and you still on a daily basis think, I don't know, I don't know if this is going to work. And there's a lot of proof there that says that it will. I will say, you know, don't let it get in the way, right? Understand that you're writing for a big, you know, you're writing or creating for a big audience if you have one, and you should be aware of all that comes with that. But never let that get in the way. If you were good at something in front of one person, you're probably going to be good at it in front of 10,000. If they found you, they're into what you're into, don't change your content to try and placate your audience. I think that's where people do get lost as their audience gets bigger. So there, there comes a moment, anyone who has a content business or media business where you feel like, all right, and maybe you touched on this earlier, but I'm not sure it's going to work or it's going to fail or it's not scalable. What was like, is there one moment of doubt you had at some point along the way where you're like, oh my God, I don't, I don't think I could do this forever or it's not going to work? Like every, I still think <laughs> that is a, I don't know, a weekly thought, monthly, it's less now. I think, you know, when transitioning from it being like a hobby to like, this is how I'm going to try to make a living. That was probably the scariest. My wife and I bought a house. I was barely making any money. Knowing like you have that sort of heavy thing you need to feed uh, a mortgage. And she was like, she was paying that, but like I wanted to contribute. So making that switch was the scariest that were the the most i would lay awake thinking about why don't you just do a real job versus this was in that phase now you worry about like maybe it could go away or maybe i didn't 
make the best video I, I could of that day or I really missed something there. Those things, that's what bothers me. Like get something wrong, that really bothers me. So it's like the little things, but yeah, I, I when it's something weird like this, that YouTube and doing this, I feel like it's organized chaos and you're kind of just riding the wave and hope it doesn't crash. And then if it does crash, you can maybe float out and grab the next one and, you know, ride that along. But I'm sure any business owner feels that way, right? Whether it's running a bakery or you're an employee for somebody else, there's no guarantee any business is going to last. So I try to keep that in mind as well. And it felt weird at first. Like I, I read a thing, I think on LinkedIn recently about creators not feeling like they're business people. And then they go on to talk about all their different things they do to make their business run. And that kind of hit home for me because I don't feel like what I do is like a real thing. I know it's time consuming, but it's, it's like you're doing a bunch of different things and it just happens to be a way you can make a living. Was there a moment like that for you? And if there was, what was it? Where it was either not going to work or not sustainable? You know, your business and the podcast, either or. No, I'm not those guests. I The question is like, which moment today will that happen? Uh, that's, that's a pretty frequent, you know, thought or concern, I think, is just part of it. But I think the single scariest moment was the beginning of COVID. We had three clients pretty immediately with all the hysteria that was going on. Like I remember the NBA, they they like stopped a game in the middle of the game, I think, or something like that. It might've been the next day or two days later, we had three clients be like, hey, we need to stop working with you. And they were all contractually bound and et cetera, et cetera. And it just didn't matter. I think that was probably the scariest moment just to be like, what is happening? You know, how are we going to sustain this? By the way, there's probably no safety net of, of like jobs right this second. Um, that ended up resolving itself pretty quickly. But the fear of like, what are we doing? Are we fake like radio shows for a living? Is this a real thing? You know, when somebody's going to find out that uh, we're just recording this online and, you know, <laughs> why would they pay us for this? That whole thing is a, is a pretty consistent friend of mine. <laughs> Okay, number eight, consistency is key. I'll start off with my personal example here. So when I started Crossing Broad way back when, in 2009, as a local sports site, I always found that many blogs at that time, there weren't many like professional blogs. There was a pretty stark line between blogs and like real media. And there was some in the middle, maybe like Mashable was a blog, and then that got bought and, and turned into more of a, a major website. But I always found that the ones I liked weren't updated frequently because most people weren't doing them full time. So they'd have spurts of updates, uh, you know, and then they'd go weeks without them. And this was particularly true in sports and local sports, which is so tough to monetize. And my initial priority was I never want to be that. If this is good, I need, I want this to be addictive to people. I want something up on that website every morning, at least on weekdays, because I'm writing for people sitting at their desks at work. That was the primary audience. I want something to be up on that website every day by 9 a.m. And it doesn't have to be the best thing of the day, right? It just has to be something. You let them know the light's on. Maybe your best piece you write over lunch or in the afternoon. And by the end of the day, you got this great piece, or this great piece of content. And that is so important that people know that even if, all right, this isn't that great. And I don't want to read this. This site is on it. They're here. When something happens, I can go there. And I think that applies to podcasting, which is what Adam talked about. He had a show, sounds like dozens and dozens of episodes, sizable audience. Then he got sidetracked with the agency piece of his business and he stopped doing the show. And it's almost like a multiplier effect when you stop doing it because you've built up this audience. And then once you break that chain of habit for them, 
he was never able to get it back. And now he's on the podcast number two and he's slowly building back up. But the setback is not weeks. If you stop doing it for weeks, it's not like it takes three weeks to get back the audience you lost in three weeks. It might take three years to get back that audience. And same, we're a great example here. We're doing the show. We set out to do it weekly. We had some vacations the middle of the summer. Guests moved the time on us. So our goal was like, we have to get something out this week and next. And it kind of compels this show. We need people to know that, hey, this show is here every week in your feed. And some episodes are always going to be better than others, but it's here. And we're here and we're taking it seriously. And I think that applies to anybody creating content. Whatever your cadence is, hit it consistently, especially early on. You have more capital to spend after years if you miss a week or miss a show or something like that. It also speaks to you have to be flexible. Being rigid, if being rigid impacts your ability to be consistent, you may have found you may have found a quick issue in your process, right? So kudos to you. You do a very good job in I think mentally simplifying things as an entrepreneur, especially when like when I think of like, hey, I want people to know the light is on, you know, so the light is on means somebody's home. And the light is on means you should probably come back because yeah, I got up, I got that post out right away. You now know to come back again and check. Big story hits, I go to Crossing Broad. And to your point about, you know, the podcast, this type of show that we're doing when we're kind of looking back on the learnings of our first 10 episodes. It's not like you and I, two months ago, said, hey, after 10 episodes, we're going to do this learnings thing. No, things changed over the summer a little bit. To your point, vacations, people move times on us. But you must stay consistent. So to come up with this two-part show that we know readers would benefit from is within that flexibility and not being rigid and go, oh, no, 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 we're going we're gonna to have to just wait two more weeks until we get that guest. No, you're going to hurt your consistency. So no, it's a great point. It's something I have struggled with throughout my career, and I wish it was something that I would have had a better command on earlier. You know, something similar to Adam's point. If you can just just keep going, even if it's you know one post, one show, whatever it is, just keep some kind of consistency until that next jump or next exciting thing comes. Then you know, you're uh, better positioned for success. And to your point about this show, I think this was point five and. At the end of part one is have a willingness to, we said, I think we said evolve the business model, but also the content. I actually, I went back and listened to part one. I thought it was very good. I thought it might be our most interesting episode for new people. We may find out that these are our two most downloaded shows. And then we might say, wow, we need to do this every five or seven or 10 episodes. Again, you don't want to change what you set out to do based on the audience. This is a format I actually like doing. I think it lends itself to both of our personalities. And if we find out this is good and useful for the audience, then all of a sudden you, I can't tell you how many times you create something, you know, as a longtime blogger and a segment or a recurring feature or a beat that you cover and you do it as a one-off and maybe it's, it was a slow day and you're, and you're like, oh, wow, people care about this. I'm interested in this. And you start covering it again and, and then it just sort of snowballs from there. I mean, this happens in all manners of, of media. I'll take, you know, Barstool Sports as an example. You know, I think Dave Portnoy at some point liked pizza and, you know, probably took his camera guy, I'm going to do a couple of pizza reviews. And he's like, oh my God, people liked it. Now it's a brand. Now it's an app. Now it's, he's ate a slice of pizza every day for like the last six years. It's a thing. He shows up places and they're like, oh my God, the pizza reviewer is here. I doubt that was really planned. It happened very organically and then it snowballed. So always be willing to kind of be consistent and then, you know, flexibility within that. Adam, if you could change uh, one thing over the past five years, anything about the business what would it be? 
I just talked about how important consistency is. We got really, so we saw the show shoot up. We got really busy signing new clients and I let our own show lag for probably, it just wasn't a focus for probably like 18 months. And the amount of progress we lost because of that, like we had such heavy momentum and we've gotten some of it back and our show is great. We enjoy it. It's a fun thing, but it kills me whenever I think about it too long just, you know, how much progress was lost there. And if I would have been more willing to delegate, if I would have been more willing to include, you know, get things away from me that I I had no business being involved with earlier, I could have focused on that. Um, But it was just a lesson we had to go through to learn. Sometime like within that first year, I was still working, still at the job and I would get up. It was my goal to get something on the website every day by 9 a.m. Because I knew at that time, most blogs weren't businesses and you'd like to read some stuff and there would be five, seven days in between posts. And it's like, all right, I can't check this every day. The only thing I checked every day was like Bill Simmons because I knew he had X number of columns per week and it was reliable and I could eat lunch on Fridays and read his mailbag. So I was like, I'm going to get something up, even if it's not that good, every day by 9 a.m. And then every day by lunchtime and then at least three, four posts a day. I would do it in the mornings at night. So once we got a couple of thousand views per day, say we, it was I, I put programmatic ads on, AdSense, there was a sports blog, like tailored one, you know, all that stuff. And it was making like a couple hundred bucks a month. I tried affiliate stuff. I tried creating my own shirts on Spreadshirt. I tried selling direct ads. I did an event at a bowling alley in Philly and I thought I was gonna have all these people come out. I had two people show up. I have six. It was me, my girlfriend, her brother and cousin, and then two readers. And it was really embarrassing, but it was like four months into the site. And I thought, wow, I'm getting like a thousand page views a day. I'm going to have this huge turnout. And a thousand page views a day in hindsight is, is not a lot. So I tried everything instantly. In hindsight, I probably should have waited a bit till I got like a more of a critical mass to do anything beyond programmatic. But I was trying every single model we talk about on here selling t-shirts, being an affiliate, programmatic ads, events, and it was just too early. But by the end of the year, I was able to piece together the equivalent of like ten to $15,000 a year. And I had moved home to save money. I was like 25, 26. I was in apartments. I moved home to save money, met a girlfriend, and I went to my parents. I was like, I think I'm gonna quit my job. All right, this one, number nine is one I think I bet you a lot of creators can get better at. I know we can get better at this. Automating the mundane time sucks. If you're, you know, a creator, whatever, your best skill set is probably doing the content and maybe running the business side of it. As anyone in any business knows, there's a lot of little things you gotta do to keep the business running that are that are kind of mundane and In business, if you have capital and you can outsource things like accounting and things like that, it it allows you to do what you're good at. But in content, sometimes it's a full-time job just to promote your content. And Kenny Coleman from Bourbon Pursuit, who was either, uh, I believe, episode three, talked about how they... Their shows are really evergreen. They're interviewing people in the bourbon industry, distillers, brands, things like that, people like that. And those episodes don't expire after six months, right? They age Nicely, to use a a whiskey example. (laughs) And he knows that as his audience grows, he can reach back 10, 20, 30 episodes ago and find interesting conversations that people would want to hear now. So to to surface that, he set up a Zapier tool. And I don't know exactly how he set it up. And I've always found Zapier to be useful, although a bit complicated to install. And it goes back through his RSS feed, finds an episode, and auto-tweets it out multiple times during the week. And he says he's gotten significant compounding audience from this because it's something he set up once and it constantly surfaces interesting things for people who are new to the show. 
The other one uh, is Nick, Nor'easter Nick, does the same thing. He basically does most of his weather forecasts, other than, than during storm and weather event situations, in the morning between, I think he said, like 5 and 9 a.m. for the day. And he has an afternoon forecast, an early evening forecast, an evening forecast. He's not sitting at his computer in front of his camera for the early evening forecast. He records that in the morning, does it, cuts it up, and then he presses one publish button using... Um, get the background tool he uses and it pushes it out to YouTube, Facebook, times it, and it makes it look like he's always on. And he is during during breaking weather, but it's highly automated, the distribution. Yeah, it was once again, you know, kudos to Nick. I mean, that was one of my questions for him when we were looking at some of his videos. I'm like, how is how does he have a life? He has, I believe it's six videos a day, and I, we knew he was in a studio. And yeah, and he made it very clear. Like, listen, if there's going to be thunderstorms or a changing forecast, I'm right in my basement studio and we're updating it. But he was very honest. There's most days, you know, the forecast is the forecast. And he has all of these videos being uh, sponsored. So he has a, a number one, a duty to make sure that he is fulfilling those sponsored videos and getting those things out. And if you're going to do that in the morning and be able to send those out, all the power to him. Now, a quick story when we were getting acquired. I continue to have just a horrible like business organization side to me, right? And it really showed up when we were getting acquired because it even just like a basic PL and process, it was like I just it was just not continues to not be part of my personality. I get creative, I like to get into things. And like to me, that is where all of my energy goes. So starting to learn to look for ways to automate the mundane tasks because they sit and they sit and they sit. And by the time I get to it, I've created something that is much larger than it needs to be in terms of a task. So I truly appreciate when I hear these kinds of ideas and thought processes of thinking ahead. And I'm sure there's a lot of listeners out there too that do the same thing. It's like they wait to the end of the month to do certain things. And if you can automate and you can afford to automate, and there's many tools out there now that are unbelievably cheap in order to help you do that, I would highly encourage you to incorporate that in as soon as possible. Yeah, I'm willing to bet many creators, you know, what they're best at, what they like doing is is creating content. And so they do put off a lot of that mundane stuff, you know, particularly if you're new to it and all of a sudden, oh my God, I'm making money. I have a business and a, a growing business. It's probably, I'll mention there's a, a service out there called Bench Accounting, and I'm sure there's others where they're human beings, right? But it's relatively low cost. It's a subscription, monthly subscription, and you give them access to your bank accounts and any of like your Stripe accounts and things like that. Now you have to have some trust here and, you know, you got to go make sure you go with a reputable company. But then you basically have a team in the background and they're almost like a personal accountant. However, that requires some, and you get a nice PL every month and it's nice, but it requires some setup. It's almost like programming or AI. The data that you get out is only as good as the data you put in. And you do have to spend that time, be it Kenny with his Zapier tool, setting up you know, the if-then statements to make it work. And even something like accounting, I had to kind of go through a sheet and explain like if income comes from these companies or sources, it's probably affiliate income. If it comes from these companies, it's probably display advertising income. This expense to these people are contractor payments. And you do that once, it takes care of itself every month. There's always going to be one-offs, but you can limit the amount of one-offs the more effort you put into it up front you know, to automate those time things. So be willing to spend that hour or two or three in the beginning to set up a system or a process or, or even work with a freelancer or VA and show them what to do so you don't have to be involved in those one-offs as much. That's just the social media side. The, the core platform stuff, you know, it's I try to just get it as 
as many places I possibly can and try and let the, the content do itself. So I've also, you know, as a part of this is I've automated a bunch of stuff on the back end too, because posting it to 19 different social media channels as Reddit and all these other places you said, it can get very time consuming. But with a little bit of coding work and some help with Zapier and some trial and error in the span of a few days, I was able to take a, a published podcast and now it automatically distributes to 19 platforms the morning it's released without me having to do anything. So that's sort of one of those things that I'm able to kind of blend my actual job with this hobby of mine and help bring some more time back into my life. Because as I mentioned earlier, Kyle, when you're spending 80 hours a week burning the candle at both ends, it takes a toll on you. So any way that you can shave off a few hours that you would spend doing routine work is, is where I would look to try and automate a bunch of things that, that we do for the, the show. It's funny you say that because I'm about to, after I'm done this, I'm going to sign the contract for a company called Social News Desk. And they basically, you sign into your social media platforms. And have you heard of Hootsuite? So it's just like that, but for newsrooms. So it's much more in depth. You can do more things with it. So eventually I'll take my videos, I'll take my, my graphics, everything, post it one time, and then it takes it and spreads it out. So that will save me a lot of time. Uh, right now I'm spending a couple hours a day after all the videos are, are uploaded, actually sending them to the different places. So it'll be really cool to be able to do that all in one spot. Now, people ask me all the time, well, don't you work like 24 seven? The answer is no, unless it's severe weather. It's all an illusion. And I, I don't wanna give the secret away, but whatever. On a nice day, when you know what the weather is gonna be, which isn't all the time, you know, we have such crazy weather around here, but on a nice day in the middle of like April, so to say, uh, I get up at five. Sonny, sunny, I'll see you tomorrow. Yes, right, exactly. <laughs> uh, which by the way, as, as weather weenies, you'll know, hardest days ever to, to provide content. I'll talk forever on a severe weather day. There's endless stuff to talk about. But you give me a week of sunshine and hot weather, what do you talk about, you know? So in TV news, when I used to do the morning show, that used to be the biggest stumbling block. We had weather every 10 minutes. No idea why. I mean, it didn't change. But I would come back and I'd be like, hi, it's me again. Nothing changed. It's still going to be sunny and hot today. But uh, at any rate, on a good day, I wake up at five. I am done work for the day by 8.30, 9 o'clock in the morning. And then I get to go focus on other rabbit holes and whatnot. But it's a matter of using the technology at your disposal and scheduling things out. I schedule to Facebook, Twitter, my website, and just call it a day. If something changes, I'll just log in and, and tweak the, the wording on, on stuff. But yeah, I, people think that I, and there was a point where I did work a lot. Um, but now it's more spent on contemplating how to grow the, the business and come up with more automated ways to make residual income. And that's why I think this channel is going to be so big because it's not going to impact my day at all. It's just going to, once it's set up, it's going to be running. It's going to be on YouTube. You're going to be able to access it from anywhere. And that's going to be very advantageous for companies to come in and put their 30 second spots on. In fact, I had three meetings today. I'm already selling this thing and it doesn't even exist. Okay. Number 10 is probably good advice for all walks of life or business, but particularly for this, I'll let you take it. It's a uh, must be willing to learn from mistakes. And you're one of the examples here. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, I think we all know that to tie, I think to tie all 10 of these in just a little bit to number 10, right? In order to learn from your mistakes, you have to try things. You have to progress and, and you can't just sit there in a box and 
come up with something convenient and hope you got to get out there and there's going to be failure. You know, and, and that seems to be like something that's really out there now for all the creator economy. You got to fail, you got to fail, you got to fail, you got to figure it out. I think a lot of people are scared of failure. But the best part about failure is you learn from it so you don't do it again in the future. You know, and in the podcast where Kyle interviewed me, the big learning for me was I just got smoked by an app that I was going to build in the daily fantasy sports space that was going to tie in some betting and you know lineup optimizers for DraftKings and FanDuel. And you know, I lost, I think, upwards of like a quarter of a million dollars on the project. And it sucked. I had to learn from it. But then opportunities came up when Kyle and I began to work together, when you and I began to work together. And one of our first conversations was, I'm starting to pitch you on an app. And I almost had to stop myself because I here I was again going to, I wasn't learning from it. And fortunately enough, I had a new business partner and you were now bouncing ideas off of each other. And this is where the learning came in of like, holy shit, I cannot now take my mistake, bring it into a new business, force it upon someone else, right? You have to learn from these mistakes and being able to vet your idea. Is it truly going to work? Can't be top line. Like, ah, it'll work out. We'll just figure it out. No, it's got to be more well, more of a drill down, thought out that process. So learning from your mistake, especially ones that cost you a quarter of a million dollars, is obviously uh, vital to your future success. It's basically it's college tuition to learn a lesson. Yeah. But, you know, some, I imagine you or, or some people could argue that that mistake could be better than a college tuition. You know, you make one simple mistake that changes the direction or something you do in the future that pays off tenfold, it might be worth it. The other example we had here, which I, I think is probably less impactful than yours, is Josh Babbitt on the Hacker's Paradise, our first episode. He talked about, I guess they wanted to rebrand and redirect the website, which could always be scary for SEO. And they did it in a way that really wasn't the right way and all their backlinks broke and all of that. So I think is more simplistic learning, but a learning nonetheless for him, which is you do anything with SEO or with site structure and URLs and slugs, you can't miss on that because that can tank an entire uh, website-based business. Even a podcast, if you do something with a feed or your host and you accidentally close an account when you transition to a new host and you forget to archive it, it's very easy to lose data and the hookups that underpin the internet. Yeah, and also too, I think that was a few years ago, obviously too, for Josh, being aware of your options you know, before taking some of these actions, you know, today on WP Engine, you can have a staging environment, you can test these kind of things, have a better idea of where it is. I don't know, my guess is back then, you know, that probably wasn't truly a real option for him. You know, it's just another thought process of just digging down and, and seeing just exactly what you're doing before you take it and all the impacts that are going to be there. Because that could be one hell of a mistake that you have a hard time fixing. Just to back it up slightly, going back to like the mistake that was made. yeah. So there's like there's the rumor that it's coming, but you know there's not a lot of confidence that in 2018 we're actually going to get this thing. But so one of the one of the core competitors in the daily fantasy space, yeah, I don't know if I could call them a, comp- a competitor on the promo code side of it, was this site called Roto Grinders, and these guys did a great job. They really understood the market. They they dove in, built a great community but also had like the promo code side of the business as well. So you weren't really sure like, well, they're getting all the, you know, if you're, if you're an operator, they're getting revenue from this amazing user base, uh, you know, where's, or is the user search component of the promo code really driving it? In the end, I think they would even admit probably 85% of it was coming from search for promo code. But with the market slowing down a bit and having some extra revenue, I thought, well, 
man, I'll go compete with them now. You know, so giant mistake. Because all I had known was bottom of the funnel, this works, I can go after this. I had a better understanding of on-page utilization and being able to call to action. And when you get that visitor there to get them to take the action that you want them to take, at the time, that wasn't as common thought as it is today. It's been, you know, it's really, with the influencer and creator economy, everything's been going on, that's now like second nature to most people. It wasn't back then. So I decide that I'm going to build an app that, you know, is going to be the greatest thing since sliced bread, and it's going to combine fantasy and sports betting. So no matter what happens, I'm prepared. And you know, so the first mistake in the process, I had two people to choose from. I had one that had a group that had already built something similar out in California, and then I had somebody local. And I was like, well, and the local person had no experience in this. So they claimed they did. I'm going to go local because I can walk into their office. You know, if there's an issue, I can be there, and I feel like I had more control over it. And it was a massive, massive mistake. Massive mistake. To the point, and this is, I will always say this, always trust your gut. About 10 days into the process with these folks, my gut's screaming, get out, get out. This isn't, you made the wrong decision, get out. And I let, I let their, I guess their boss, CEO, I let him talk me into staying on. So this ends up being roughly a $250,000 mistake where... They, this, the app is nothing what it's supposed to be. Things are just drawn out. and it, it, It's just, unfortunately, lie after lie that ends up being a litigious event for me, of which, I, you know, that number of 250 is what I lost. I got back a little bit. But the idea for our listeners to think that you can magically take a, like a passion or a minimal view or experience of something and think that, oh, I got it, and I've got extra cash, so I can make this happen. I, d- I did not do enough due diligence. There was not enough of a plan there. I depended way too much on the, the developer company to do this, and I got caught. Gr- now, I will greatest mistake I've ever made. It cost me a ton of money, but I will never walk into another situation like that again the rest of my life without, and, and you and I see this so much in some of our plannings over the years, even today, I'll push to do something, and, co- and, and and you'll be like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! Like, let's get the plan a little more thought out. Let's 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 dive down a little bit more." I get very excited, and it it costs me, you know, a shit ton of money. I can tell you exactly when it was. The Hackers Paradise is probably the worst domain name in the history of the world because it has the word hackers in it. So. Everybody kind of refers to us as THP Golf, and the name of our business incorporated is THP Media Inc. We had this brilliant idea to change our domain name six years in to thpgolf.com, and we did, and we own that also, but everything redirected to THP Golf, and my God, did it screw up all of our search engine. Every piece of SEO was screwed up. We got broken links. We did Everything was wrong. And it took us probably six months to realize how bad it was when I tried to search for my own name and it couldn't come up in Google. And it took like 18 months to fix everything. The other one, and I really thought the business was going to close at that point. I, not to the extent of like shut down completely. We have really good partners who stick by us, even with boneheaded decisions like that. But to the point where I'm like, well, growth is over. We're going to try to figure this out on the cheap. We used to use vBullet and Form Software. 
and we used them from the infancy until two years ago, maybe three years ago. And we upgraded from something that worked perfectly to something that was so flawed, it was just a disaster. And I thought we were dead in the water then too. Fortunate and a shout out to Ben, our IT guy and Morgan, who stayed up like 48 hours straight, bought new software, built new software, hired somebody to help do it and get everything up and running within like a 72 hour period. It was absolutely nuts to get it done right. And it's been flawless ever since. So we've been fortunate there, but there's been times every year at renewal time, I go through the same stress because I work so hard. And it's not even that if a company says we can't support you anymore. I understand that business changes in all facets. It's what did I do wrong to make it so you don't want to support us anymore. So there's that moment of brief panic every year. Yeah. There's that popular meme on social, the, the entrepreneur's day, you know, where it's, it's just like up and down, up and down. And this isn't going to work. Things are going great. You know, and it's just, it's how it is. That's Yeah. And, and we've been super fortunate because of our partners that we're able to pick and choose who we can work for. I, they, we don't do the thing that a lot of websites do in whatever niche you're in, which is send out the blanket ad media buy at the beginning of the year to everybody in your thing. We don't. We offer renewals to the companies we want to continue to work with. And when those are filled, fill, they're full. And we don't go past that. If somebody comes to us, which they do, we get three or four after that throughout the year. Hey, we really like what you're doing. We want to be to partner up, then great. But otherwise, we've been really fortunate to be able to pick and choose and try to stay in our lane, so to speak. Anyway, that's the end of our 10 actionable insights from our first 10 episodes. Once again, if you like the show, uh, you found this interesting, or you know two people who might also find it interesting, tell two friends and then tag them and tag us on Twitter at Kyle Scott L, at Jay Zernick, and at Monetize Media HQ. And if you want to run an idea by us, me or Jason, about your business, your website, your podcast, your channel, whatever it is, you want to pick our brains. Hell, at this point, if you want to get on a phone call with us, we've done that too. Uh, we're happy to do it free of charge. We just want to really kind of you know grow our audience and allegiance with the audience here. And then Jason, if they do like it, what are some other things they can do with the podcast? Yeah, please go wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts like Monetize Media. Please give us five stars. And if you want to leave a comment too, that would be great. We really appreciate that. Hit those algos. And we'll be back uh, next time with another great interview. Maybe we'll do 10 more of these and do another recap show. Thanks for listening.